The first reading is taken from Romans, chapter 15, and uh, starting at verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And then again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And our second reading is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's just bow our heads. Father, as we come to you, we pray that you will indeed open our eyes to see, to see you clearly, to see you afresh, to see you in a different way, but that we may see you and have peace in our hearts. Amen. Last week, you may uh, remember (coughs) that we started Advent with some particularly gloomy passages, Uh, (coughs) but basically, the point being... (coughs) excuse me, uh, that you need to put on the clothing of God in order that we may reveal our hope in his resurrection. Uh, And this uh, week's passages from the lectionary are no less troublesome. Uh, We have our second candle alight, the candle of peace. And yet we read of a brood of vipers, the coming of wrath, the axe laid at the tree and the burning of the chaff. Perfect in contrast. We've just looked at some images on the screen and we saw certain things, at least we thought we did, until we look again and we see something completely different. We live in a world that feigns to give you one thing, but actually is giving you something slightly different. I don't know what your (coughs) political persuasion is at the moment, but I suspect we're all uh, used to the fact that we will be made lots of promises, particularly in these last few days, trying to win us over before the election. And we're probably in our heart of hearts thinking, it'll never happen. We've all become hardened to the promise of help in one hand and the taking away in another. We long for truth, for honesty, for love without boundary, love without caveat. We place demands on others, but we are more forgiving of ourselves. And so it is in the passage from Matthew this morning where we have the Pharisees, we have Jesus, and we have uh, the people. John is a wild, strange, rather remote figure, living in the desert, preaching uh, repentance. But I think it's fascinating that here he is in this passage. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. He was meant to be there. John the Baptist is part of God's plan. This wild and weird man is supposed to be there, fulfilling God's purpose. He's baptising with water. It's a sign of turning, isn't it? Turning from one lifestyle to another. But really, I suppose all he was doing was a ritual Cleansing and, and various people groups were coming to him uh, because they saw their need, uh, their need because of their sin. And into this scene come the Pharisees, those for whom the practice of religion was vital and the ceremonies that surrounded their religion had obtained a status that was of probably greater importance uh, than the meaning of the ceremony itself. And as they approach, 
John gives them a great welcome. You brood of vipers! It's a sort of slap on the back. Hail and hearty. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? It's, it's not what you'd call your best buddy, is it? It's not cheery, it's not light-hearted. But he was seeing them as they were. They were coming to observe. They were not coming to take part. And in verses 7 and 9, he addresses this pretense. Because they relied on the rote of religion, the practice, in order to be holy. They then claim in, uh, it is verse 9... Uh, And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, they're saying, but we're ancestors, or uh, our ancestor was Abraham. He was okay with God, so we are too, if we do the same things as Abraham. And John was saying, no, 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 that's, that's not the point. You're missing it entirely. You're seeing things the wrong way round. You can't claim salvation simply through somebody else, your friend or neighbour, your ancestor. You have to come to Jesus Christ. You have to produce fruit that displays your repentance. We have to act out your belief. That's verse 8 and verse 10. The axe is lying at the foot of the tree that does not produce good fruit. They had come to observe, not take part. A different example might be someone like Zacchaeus who went to observe but ended up being fundamentally changed and taking part in the relationship that you can have with Jesus Christ. And this is therefore, it's similar to last week, isn't it? Where we had to put off our old clothing in order to put on our new. And this is repentance. It's coming to Christ. I had to come to Wanish this morning. And unless, unless I had left Guildford, I would not have come to Wanish. Unless I had left behind my old self, I would not be able to come to my new self. Unless I leave my old way and my old belief, I cannot come to belief in Christ. So he deals with the Pharisees and he puts them firmly in their place because they had not seen, just as we saw last week, they had not seen the very person that stood in front of them. But then John turns his attention uh, to Jesus. And what a write-up. It is. This is a man whose sandals I am not fit to carry or to tie. Disciples in those days used to sit at the feet of their teacher and to tie their sandals or to carry them for them was quite normal. That was the usual practice of a pupil to their teacher. But John is saying, I can't even do that. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. So lowly 
am I? So great is the God who I am uh, worshipping. The man who comes is so powerful, so worthy, so empowered with the Holy Spirit. Who am I to baptise him? Because Jesus came to baptise with the Holy Spirit. That's not just a cleansing of the outside, it's starting inside out. It's a complete change. That's why we have that symbol of fire, the unquenchable fire, which burns up the chaff, it gets rid of all the rubbish. Do you get that sort of urgency, the anxiety in John's voice here? He's really pleading that it makes a difference. Jesus is coming and he's not far away. Physically, that's absolutely true because in the next few verses, Jesus arrives. He's literally round the corner. But he's saying to us in Advent, Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Are you seeing Jesus as he is? For whom he is? God is near. He's available. He's accessible. Our hearts, are they closed or are they open? Because our hearts are troubled until they find their rest in God. That's peace. That's where we finally reach peace. Because as individuals we are troubled until we find our rest in the person of Christ. How do we prepare ourselves this Advent? Who are we looking at? Are we placing our reassurance and our trust in the trappings of Christmas? Are we placing our trust in religion, as the Pharisees were? The practice of religion coming week by week? Or are we placing our trust in the person of Jesus Christ. This is Jefferson Bethke. Uh, I have played it here before. You may have seen it, but it's worthy of repetition. This is his poem, Religion versus Jesus. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. 
See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it He called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man. Which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. Religion says do. Jesus says it's done. Religion says do because there is something that we need to do which we feel as though is required in order to get to God. And God says, but I've removed that. I've done it. Just come. That is peace that we may enter his presence and find the peace for our soul. Our souls are troubled till they find their rest in him. So when we walk in our community this Advent, what are we going to say? We are literally John the Baptist. This church is St. John the Baptist of Wanish. We are all his, in sense, his disciples. What are we going to say to our community? The Saviour of the world is coming. And you need to see him for yourself. Come. Prepare the way for the Lord. Come and meet him. Come and be challenged. Come and be loved. Come and be made new. Come that your anxious mind your troubled heart may find peace in the person of God.
Does your neighbour want to cling to religion? Cling to the Christmas tree? Cling to the lights? Cling to their family? Whatever it is, they need to cling to the person of Christ who came not to offer religion or duty, not to offer the coloured lights and spicy food, not to offer an extended shopping experience or even a time of goodwill. He came to offer a new relationship where the longing of our heart would be met because it meets Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we look for your coming this Christmas, we pray that our hearts and minds would be open, that we would seek your presence, that the anxiety that we feel may find its peace and rest in you and throughout this week that that candle of peace would be burning in our hearts so that those we meet we may bring to your presence your throne that for themselves they may find the true God begotten not made Father, we thank you. In your holy name. Amen.